0: Good morning, I'm Kirsty, and this morning I'm going to be reading Mark 1: 21 through28. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, "What have you done? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth?" Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of God.
1: Thank you, God. Thanks, Kirsty. Awesome. Well, good morning again. Uh, I love that last song because it felt like a prayer to me. Um, uh, The Christian life is a surrendering one. Uh, It is one in which uh, we no longer are our own lords and our own masters, but rather we have a new master, and his name is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us follow him. And so ultimately we are in submission uh, to his authority and not our own. Um, and it's actually where in that submission we find freedom. We don't have to follow our own way. We don't have to try to figure out where life is found. We don't have to try to look to this world for joy and peace, but rather we have it in, in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit ultimately does that work of illumination and reminds us. And so what a, what a good prayer to sing as we begin Uh, our our time in the Word this morning. So, all right. Well, anyways, if you aren't already there, go ahead and turn to to Mark 1, uh, verses 21 through 28, is where we're going to be this morning. So, but as you're turning there, uh, I want to ask, who was here last February, uh, February 21, and here in St. Angelo? Raise your hand if you were here in town. Uh, So a a good chunk of you guys, we all remember February of 2021, for those who were here, do we not? Um, if 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 you need if you were not here or if you need some for refreshment, um, so, so that year was a, probably one of the this is probably one of those couple of interesting weeks um, that I've ever experienced in in San Angelo uh, and really in Texas at large. For those of you who might not remember, we had this huge snowstorm. Really, it spread across all the state. Um, And and that snowstorm, I think for a lot of us, snow is kind of fun. You know, it has has its novelty. It's it's kind of nice for a couple of days. But then here in San Angelo, after a couple of days, we're not prepared for this, especially when it keeps coming down, especially like, oh, it's not done yet. No, it's keep going. Okay, we're not prepared for this kind of snow. Uh, And I think we felt it last year, right? And so February of 21, we had this huge snowstorm that just all of a sudden caused lots of chaos in our town. But not only that, uh, we were also in the middle of a pandemic. Um, we were in the middle of, of COVID. That, you know, the, the peak of that, we were already locked down and, and, and shut down. And not only that, do y'all remember that we also had some water issues? Uh, and, and I don't mean to make light of this, because this these are all very serious things. But it just seemed like one thing after another, uh, just St. Angelo kept getting hit with something. Um, first, it was the snow. Uh, and then obviously, we, all of us were in the middle of a pandemic. And then our water. Uh, not that many of us probably drink San Angelo water. Uh, and and yeah, if you do, you probably have the strongest immunity of anybody in this room. Uh, sorry if you work for the city. I don't mean that as a, that as a jab. But um, but we were able to, to, to shower and use it. And so it's like San Angelo was cold, we were sick, and we were stinky. Uh, all in one week. All in the span of a couple of weeks. And so if, for those of us who were here... Uh, there was probably this great sense that something is not right. Things aren't as they should be. Um, things around us are broken. Things aren't working like they normally do. We can actually apply that to a lot of different things, right? If we look around in the world today, uh, we can quickly look around and see that things aren't as they should be. Um, Man, we, 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 see, we see wars. We see that racism and abortions are still a thing. We see a, a culture that is hypersexualized. We see all these different signs around us that things aren't quite as they should be. Brokenness is all around. Um, but, but we don't just have to look at the culture and the world around us to notice that. We can also look in our own hearts. Um, we can also see that there's brokenness still within me. Um, there's still sin, and a lot of times there's still that sin that we are trying to fight in private. There's, there's this sense that, that I am myself am broken and in need of repair. Things aren't as they should be in my own heart. Wherever we find ourselves um, looking for broken or finding brokenness, um, we, we don't have to, we all can understand that this sentiment of that things aren't as they should be. Uh, so what are we to do? In a world where there's wars, where there's all these different things. In a world where our our own hearts are just bent towards sin and and, and things we know we shouldn't engage in. What are we to do in the middle of a a time where things aren't as they should be? And so when we get to Mark chapter 1, Jesus is on the heels of calling his first disciples. So we looked at that, Brian talked about that last week. And they were in this small fishing city of Capernaum, which was along the Sea of Galilee. And, and, and these first disciples, what they got to witness right out of the gate in the text that we looked at, they got to see two incredibly important things. They got to, one, witness that, like we all witness, that things aren't as they should be. Something is incredibly broken. But that Jesus, and the second thing was that Jesus came to do something about it. Jesus came to do something about it. The first disciples in this scene got to witness those two things: that something is broken, and Jesus is coming to do something about that. How? Well, let's let me, let's look at the reread the first uh, few verses. So, starting in verse twenty-one, it says, uh, "And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching." And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as, as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth, Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. There's something unique about uh, Jesus' teaching that Mark presents. So he actually puts them in contrast with this other character called the scribes. The scribes, they could have been Pharisees, uh, not necessarily, but essentially who they were is they were the experts in the Jewish law of the day. They were the ones who knew all the law. The first, uh, if you look at the first five books of the Bible, um, the commandments, the, 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 the law that was prevented in Leviticus, they knew that backwards and forwards. But here's the thing about what they knew. They were not their own authority. They always had to reference someone else. Rabbi so-and-so said this. They always typically referenced um, other teachers in previous generations or other rabbis who may have had some insights. And so they were always reliant on someone else's words. They were essentially, they did not have their own authority. And so Mark makes it clear that these scribes, while they might have been smart and know the law, they were not their own authority. So in contrast, then, he says Jesus' teaching uh, actually presented something incredibly different. As opposed to the scribes who were not their own authority, Jesus' teaching, he was the source of his own teaching. He was the authority. And he taught like it. He says that the, 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 the text says that they were amazed at his teaching. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus was teaching, but if you jump back to verse 15, and Ryan talked about this last week, not to repreach his sermon, But when Jesus began his ministry, he began in this region of Galilee, where Capernaum was. And he says that the time, this is what Jesus said, that the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And Mark says that he was in that region preaching that message. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So it's probable that that this is what he was preaching. Now, what exactly does he mean that, that, that the kingdom is at hand? Now, when we think about a kingdom, a kingdom is like this rule over a certain authority or area. Uh, it's a kingdom has its own territory and land. And that territory uh, is in subjunction to the ruler of that kingdom. So whoever is the king, whoever is the ruler, um, that territory, that land, they're the ones who were uh, under them. And so when Jesus is the kingdom is at, is at hand, What he is saying is that he is beginning to establish his rule and reign and take back the territory that ultimately belongs to him. He is claiming territory. He is is pushing back the darkness that was in the world and reclaiming territory that ultimately he came to claim. And Jesus was in the process, his ministry, his life, and ultimately even now he is in the process of making all things new restoring all things. That's what his kingdom is about. It's about pushing back the darkness and establishing his rule and reign in the hearts of men. And so Jesus is preaching this message, and people are blown away. They're amazed by this preaching. But as Jesus is preaching, something happens that indicates for the disciples that things aren't as they should be. A man pops into the synagogue with an unclean spirit. Or in other words, he was possessed by a demon. um, And what he specifically does uh, is that he's inciting the name of Jesus for his own gain. This demon, this unclean spirit that pops into the synagogue. um, He says that, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. See, this unclean spirit, this demon had great theology. He knew who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus, the Holy One of God, had come ultimately to claim back the territory that he um, was needing to claim to build his kingdom. And this demon was ultimately trying to incite the name of Jesus for his own power and gain. He was trying to ultimately save himself of sorts. But ultimately, this demon was in subjection to Jesus. He knew he was on a leash. He knew that he was limited. Um, he knew that ultimately Jesus, who was the Holy One of God, would not be in subjunction to him. But rather, it was going to be the other way around. But what this account gives us an indication of is, is really um, what is... Um, what is this territory that Jesus is trying to reclaim? What, what exactly is Jesus trying to do as he's establishing his kingdom? And, and what it tells us that this, this territory that Jesus is trying to, to bring back, it's not a physical place or land, right? It's not, it's not something that we can touch or feel, but rather it is intensely, it's an intense, it's intensely spiritual. It is an intensely spiritual one, Things aren't as they should be. As we look around in our culture, in our own hearts, and we have that sense of things aren't as they should be, um, the the, the remedy for that isn't trying to necessarily fix things that we should, but rather the the, the cause of that brokenness is much deeper. It's a spiritual one. And it's a spiritual one. And you think about the man in this account, this man who who was possessed, this man of, who had this unclean spirit. We don't know why he was necessarily in the synagogue. We don't know if he was, has been tormented by this, uh, this spirit for a long time or it just happened in that moment. But regardless of what was happening, uh, something was in him that was broken. Something that was in that was caused him to, be, uh, to disturb Jesus' teaching. And what Jesus does in this moment is that he, talks, he tells the spirit uh, to go away from him. And, and he tells the Spirit to, to leave him. But something was broken because something was broken within him. And the Spirit's, the, spiritual, the, the unclean Spirit's main job was to cause a distrust of God to the people around him and to prevent Jesus from reclaiming the territory um, uh, of, of building his kingdom. The, uncle, the unclean Spirit's main job was to prevent this man um, and others. From Jesus coming and reclaiming territory and building his kingdom. So so it's an intensely spiritual battle that this that we're engaged in. So so as Paul talks, many of us are familiar with Ephesians 6 and the armor of God. Um, Before Paul lists off the armor of God in Ephesians 6, um, he he makes it very, very clear as Christians who is our actual enemy? Who is our enemy as believers? Our our, our enemy as Christians is not non-believers. Our enemy is not Democrats, it's not Republicans, it's not the atheists, it's not fill in the blank. Our enemy is, uh, is Satan. Paul makes it very clear in Ephesians six twelve. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, note the, the, the present reality, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a lot to unpack in this verse, but what Paul is making clear is that our enemy is not of this world, but rather our enemy is against the dark forces of things that we cannot see. We cannot see our true enemy. We don't see it. But what we, what, the word that Paul uses is wrestle. And, it's, and the word wrestle, is it's like, it's like you're in a contest, and the, the goal of that contest is to pin down the person and, and pretty much just beat them into submission. And, and that's the picture that's being painted here. That's what the, our enemy is trying to do. He's trying to cause a distrust of God. He's trying to prevent Jesus from building his kingdom, and he's going to try to, as much as he can, Pin people down in such ways so where they are blinded to seeing what who Jesus truly is, and trying to cause a distrust of Him. And, and so I think like a text like this, uh, especially as we talk about spiritual forces, the demonic, unclean spirits, that, that can be kind of for some of us cause us to be a little bit unsettled and maybe even a tiny bit confused. Especially for us, you know, we live in a post enlightenment era. Um, Whereas where things like this, we don't see things like this very often. They happen, they exist. This is a, this is, these are things that we are still present in But for us, we don't come in contact with that a lot. We don't really see uh, demonic uh, possession in, 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 in extreme ways like is presented in, in Mark. And so it's easy for us to, because this doesn't sound reasonable you know, in our enlightened minds, we, we, it can be easily something as we, we dismiss this. Um, we, we dismiss this. And, and, but I think a text like this, what it should cause us to do is, though the enemy might have things like, that, the, the enemy might actually like do things like demon possession and things like that, his main job is, remember, to dissuade us from distrusting God. And so our, in our world, in our minds, yes, I think this thing, things like this actually do happen, but the enemy... Knows this because if we actually saw something like this, it actually might cause us to engage in a spiritual battle that we may not be engaged in right now. And so, a lot of times, what he does is he has other things in our lives that cause us distractions or that are more subtle that can cause us to have a distrust in God. Um, we're living in the tension right now of this, this already but not yet. So, Jesus is reclaiming territory, he is pushing back darkness but we still feel the weight of darkness and we still feel the weight of the enemy trying to pull and cause, us, cause a distrust in us. And so what might he use, um, uh, what might he do to, to help us, like not help us, what might the enemy do to, to dissuade us um, from distrusting God, to, to, or to, to, to push us towards a distrust of God? How might he in our how might he be battling in our lives to help us look away from Jesus and onto something else? Uh, what's really interesting so so there's a book out there by C.S. Lewis called The Screw Tape Letters. Some of you guys may have read it, um, but in this book, essentially, it's an older uh, demon who's mentoring a younger demon named Wormwood. Screwtape is the older demon, and he's essentially trying to help tutor this younger demon on what, how to, to, to tempt man, how to essentially cause man to distrust uh, God. And he says in one portion, um, Screwtape in his letter writes to Wormwood, and he says, whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into the mind, and in reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. And so, 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 so the enemy will use so many different things that are subtle, that can cause us to distrust God. Like I said, things like this in the text we, that that, that that's, thats a reality. We see things like that. But in our world, the 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 the, the things might be more subtle that the enemy might use. Um, he might fill us with the distractions. Uh, most of us, like so I have phones and 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 or a smartphone, and I'm thankful technology is a good gift. Um, but in reality, how many, how many of us dread the weekly announcement of how, many, how long we've been on our phone each, uh, each week, right? Most of us got that this morning. Uh, your, your your viewage was up 11%. Uh, how many of us, when we wake up, the first thing we do is we check our Twitter feeds or, or, or play Wordle or, or, or whatever it is. Um, John Mark Comer, he says that our phones A lot of times we'll be the ones to tuck us in at night and wake us up in the morning. Might the enemy use just our distracted minds to have our eyes on something else other than God? Or what he also might do is he might fill us with some intense passion about some issue or some thing. And a lot of times what that does, that can detract us from seeing who the real enemy is. See, the enemy is the person on that side. The, the enemy is the person who is on that political party. The enemy is the person. And so like what happens is when we have that kind of mindset, we, when we have the mindset that the enemy is the other person, that it helps cause us to engage in the battle all wrong. We're, we're, we, we, we are relying on ourselves because like, hey, I can take care of that enemy because I can, I can have a couple quick comments and boom, he's owned, right? Or I can, I can easily just take care of this person because I have the answers. And so why, that is, why the enemy might use that is because ultimately we are looking to something else other than Jesus, who actually has power to deal with him. To, we are looking to things that have no power over the enemy. And so he will use these things and distractions and these, these things that we are, be, are passionate about and cause us to misidentify the enemy. And a lot of times when we do that, like, we're, we're, we're disengaged from, from the actual spiritual battle because the enemy is tricking us to think that we're actually doing something. But in reality, we're doing things that have no power over him to engage with the darkness that, that he And the the things that he uses to cause us to distrust God. So the enemy loves um, when, when we don't pray for our enemies, but rather mislabel them. He loves that. Or another way he might distract us, and I want to be sensitive to this one, is that he uses suffering. He uses suffering to cause us to distrust God. I mean, how many of us have been in a hard circumstance or situation, and our go-to is to, 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 to blame shift our, our brokenness on God, forgetting that we live in a Genesis 3 world where sin still is a big deal. God is sovereign over all things, but this is a mystery, there is still a dark spiritual force that we are wrestling with that does some power. And so we we forget a lot of times that we live in a Genesis 3 world where sin has a lot bigger effect than on all that we see that can oftentimes cause the brokenness that we might experience. And I don't mean to make light of suffering. Suffering is a part of the Christian life, but a lot of times the enemy will use it um, to cause us to distrust God or to blame him or to look at him as an enemy as opposed to a friend and a helper in time of need. Here's the point. Here's the point. The darkness that Jesus is coming to push back is much deeper than we can see. Our enemy um, is one in which we cannot see. Our real enemy is one in whom we cannot see. And so when we mislabel the enemy, when we mislabel the enemy, we will misidentify the solution. And when we misdiagnose the cause of the brokenness that we see, we misdiagnose the the reasons for why things aren't as they should be, we'll often look to ourselves, we'll look to world systems, we'll look to other things for the cure. And that's what the enemy wants, because ultimately when we look to things other than Jesus, he knows that we're looking to things that have no power over him. So what's the solution? What's the solution then? So the text continues. So so you see this scene that's where the, the the unclean spirit is trying to incite the name of Jesus for his own gain. He's trying to exert some kind of power over him, even though he had none. And Jesus says in verse 25, he says, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, And so the account doesn't end with the unclean spirit antagonizing Jesus, but rather Jesus shows that he has, his teaching has authority because he's able to actually do the things that he's saying. He literally tells this unclean spirit to shut up and leave. That honestly, like that's what that word is, is be silent. Another way for us to say that is shut up and leave, go away. And the spirit had no choice but to obey. The, the, spirit, the unclean spirit had no choice no choice but to leave this man. And what, when Jesus tells this, man, tells this unclean spirit to, hey, leave, be quiet, go away, what he's essentially saying is that, hey, you darkness, you unclean spirit, no longer have any control. You no longer have any right over this man because his heart is now mine. Jesus is pushing back the darkness and reclaiming the territory. And we see him reclaiming the territory of this man's heart who has been long, probably for a long time, tormented by this unclean spirit. And Jesus is saying, you no longer have control over him. He's now mine. He's now mine. I got him now. And you can't do anything to change that. And, And what happens? What happens when people see this? They respond and catch what they say. A new teaching with what? Authority. A new teaching with authority. The authority of Jesus is able to push back darkness. The authority of Jesus is able to push back darkness. And Jesus is coming to restore all things. And he's getting rid of of the darkness bit by bit. As John says in, in, in 1 John 2.8, he says that the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. This is what Jesus came to do. And we see that all throughout the gospel, see this is just a small section, but all of the gospel of Mark, we see time and time again, Jesus showing his authority, showing that he has um, the rights On man's hearts, showing the time and time again that he ultimately was the one, the coming Messiah, who is going to redeem man broken mankind back to himself. The Gospel of Mark points to Jesus being the one, being the Savior, who was going to ultimately push back darkness and reclaim man's heart and and ultimately deal with our sin once and for all. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He died a death that he didn't, uh, didn't deserve. And then he rose again. He dealt with our sins. And so when we turn and repent from our sins and believe in the name of Jesus, not only are we reconciled back to God, meaning we have full relationship with him, full access to him. Not only has he deal fully with our sins, past, present, and future, the ones that we'll still commit after we, after we put our trust in him. Not only, is he, not only do all these things are true, but in the moment that we put our hope and trust in Jesus, the enemy no longer has any claim on you. Your heart is now Jesus' territory. Your heart is now Jesus' territory. And because Jesus is pushing back the darkness in your heart, and because he now uh, is your Lord and Master, and because now the enemy now no longer has any control on you, um, you are tightly with him. You are tightly his. You belong to him. Will the enemy still tempt? Yes. Will he still try to? Cause us to distrust God? Yes. Will he still often use different schemes and maybe uh, different things that can cause us to wander away? Yes, he will still do all those things. But this, let me tell you, those things aren't an indicator that he has power of you anymore. But rather, in the midst of those things, Jesus is still advocating for you. He's in there with you and he's telling whatever darkness is trying to come on, he's saying, No, that one is mine. He is mine. She is mine. This is what Jesus came to do, to push back this darkness, to push back the darkness of sin within us, to push back the darkness of brokenness that we see in this world. And yes, we are still living in a tension of of things aren't as they quite should be. We still feel in this world that, that things aren't fully made new yet. But Jesus is in the process of doing that. And he's doing that even in our own hearts as he helps us put to death our sin. And so what is the solution for us to engage in this battle with the enemy? What is the solution for us um, to, to, to fight? What is the solution for us as we wrestle with the tension of things aren't as they should be? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. How do we engage the enemy? We repent and believe. We we continually, as the Lord shows our sins, we turn from them. And we have this faith in Jesus and are reminded that even though I am still broken, even though, yes, I still stumble, this does not have any indication on Jesus' hold on me. We are still his. We still belong to him. And when we repent and we believe, we're doing two incredibly important things. We're recognizing uh, our lack and our need, We're we're recognizing that I am still desperate and I still need help. And we're we're also recognizing that Jesus was the one who came to be that help. His life, death, and resurrection was the, the thing that enables us to ultimately be helped. We don't help ourselves, but rather we look to him. We look to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who's able, as we see in the text, to deal with our enemy. Because if our, if our battle is intensely spiritual, if it's a spiritual one, things that we cannot see, then we need a spiritual solution. And we find that in the person and work of Jesus. He is the one who's able to fight for us. And he is the able one for us to go to him. And the tendency, I think, for a lot of us, here's the thing. It's easy for us, I think, on sometimes when when we're facing with a hard situation or a circumstance or we're feeling bogged down by sin, the easier option for us is to give in. A lot of times the more comfortable option for us um, when we're suffering and dealing with brokenness, um, it's really easy to disengage. But what a text like this calls us to do is see the authority of Jesus, and as we are seeking to put to death, as we are in the midst of just whatever circumstances that's troubling us or that's, that we're struggling with, the, the, the end goal of is not to try to fix our own problems and not try to disengage or just give in, but rather the end goal is to look to Jesus. It's to look to Jesus, it's to repent and believe. I remember a few weeks ago, uh, I was in my office it was a Monday afternoon. Uh, and, and I just had this deep sense of that things weren't as they should be. Um, uh, there was just that, that day in particular, I had received some text messages from some people of just some really sad news um, the week before, just seeing some friends, just some stuck in sin. And then just honestly, personally, just us, you know, my, my wife and I just struggling with uh, some different things as well. And so like, there was just this deep sense of things weren't as they should be. And I honestly, if I'm being honest, I had a kind of some low-key anger in my heart. Not anger in the sense of that God, but just anger at just like the fact that there's just all this brokenness around us. There's these wars that have no just cause. There's, there's people in my life who I love who are struggling. There's, there's sad things. And there's this, this deep sense uh, of just me, just this, this, the things aren't they should be. And it was making me kind of angry. Um, and so that afternoon, I put in my AirPods. I was studying. I put, some, put on some heavier music uh, to match the mood because we can do that as Christians. Um... But it was in that space. as I was studying Mark 9, 1 through 13, uh, uh, which was the text I preached a couple weeks ago that talks about, G- which was Jesus' baptism. Ironic, right? Um, I'm glad, I'm glad you, some of y'all catch that. But I was, I was, as I was studying this text and I was just wrestling just with all these different emotions and, and feeling um, all these different things, I was reminded um, that the, the perfect son of God who came to redeem mankind, who, came, who entered into this world with the message of repentance and belief to push back darkness. I was reminded that as I was thinking about all the things I was troubled by uh, that, that, and angered by, that, that he was too. Jesus is angered, hates sin. He, he hates that there's still brokenness in this world. He hates that there is still sin in this world. He, he hates the fact when people suffer unjustly. He hates the fact that we live in a world where there's still miscarriages. He hates the fact that he, we live in a world where there's still broken families. He hates things in this world that have any trace of sin in them. He hates the fact that there's persecution and that people suffer unjustly. He hates all these things. And I was reminded in this moment that, that not only does he hate all those things, but he was the one who came to do something about it. And in that moment, I felt so powerless. And a lot of times, I think that's, what, that's, that's how we need to feel is that we need to we feel this sense of brokenness and things are necessary. They should cause us to feel powerless, which ultimately ends up causing us to look back to Him. Our powerlessness is actually where we can find strength because we aren't looking ourselves for strength, but rather we're looking to Jesus for our strength. And it's when we look to Him and find our strength, we're actually able to fight and engage in the battle. And so the easy thing for us to do is when things get hard is to disengage. But, but, but the better thing for us to do when things get hard and when we're suffering and when we're feeling the, the weight of the enemy in various ways is to look to Jesus. And the best way we look to Jesus is we repent and believe. Repent and believe. When we acknowledge uh, our, the brokenness within us and we acknowledge our own um, sin. And we acknowledge the brokenness around us, and we feel powerless. We look to Jesus. And and, and it's in the middle of of just things seem unsettled and looking to Jesus. We still look to Jesus even when things are hard. That's when the enemy begins to fear. Screw tape, he says in a later uh, part of the book, he says this, and I think this is brilliant. He says, Be not deceived, wormwood. Our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe in which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks, "Why has he forsaken? Why has he been forsaken and still obeys?" In this text, the enemy is actually God. And when we engage in the enemy's will, or God's will, even in the midst of brokenness, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst, when we're still, when we're fighting for our, our lives and we are just feeling the weight of sin, but yet we're still pressing in and looking to the grace of God for help. When we are, when we are facing suffering, when we are struggling with life circumstances and, and life has been so unkind to us, but yet we still look to God, we still are entrusting ourselves to him and trying to follow him, the enemy begins to be disengaged. Power ultimately comes from Jesus. And when we look to him in all things, man, that's when we will find our strength. Because we are looking to the one who's, who came to push back darkness and the only one who can actually push back darkness. And so when we take communion, Ben, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Um, the remedy and solution for us to engage uh, in this fight um, to push back darkness is to look to Jesus. To identify that our enemy um, aren't people around us; our true enemy is ultimately one we cannot see, but one that Jesus sees. And so, when we look to Jesus, we're looking to we are looking to Him to be to be the one who can help us in the midst of that. And when we partake in communion. Um, what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves that Jesus is the one who, who went to battle for us. He, he, he was the one who uh, spilled his blood and, and broke his body uh, and, and, and died on the cross um, a death that he did not deserve for the sake of our sins so that we might have someone who can help us in the time of need. And so my question for us as we begin, uh, begin communion today is, one, if you're, if you're not a believer in Jesus, I would ask you to use this time to consider Jesus. The, the, the table of our communion, it, it is for the believer. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is for those who have put their faith in Christ, which we have those in the back and one in the front. But if you're not a believer in Christ, I would ask you to consider, why not Jesus? Why not have somebody who can be your strength for you? If you feel weak and you feel feel tired, if you realize your need, there is a solution for your need. It's the person of Jesus. And all you have to do to be a follower of his, repent and believe. Turn from your sin and look to Jesus. But for those of you who are believers in Christ this morning, here's what I would encourage you to think about. Maybe there is something in your life that you need to repent and turn from. Maybe there is something that you are looking to yourself, you're trusting too much into yourself in uh, to, to try to, to engage the enemy with, but rather look to Jesus. Because here's the thing what, what, whatever Jesus is leading to you to do this moment, if you are in Christ, you, he has claimed, he has territory in your heart. No one else does. And whatever it is that you might need to confess and bring to him, no matter what that thing is, that doesn't change. Jesus still sees you and says, that's mine, he's mine, she's mine. So you are free to confess in this moment. You are free to look to Jesus for help, knowing that whatever it is you bring to him, he still has territory in your heart and he's still doing the work of pushing back darkness in your heart. And how does he push back darkness for those who are part of his family? Man, with grace and forgiveness and love. So so, so so, whatever the spirit is, is leading you to do this morning, my, my encouragement for us is to engage in that, to, to, to allow him to do the work he needs to. Um, and that the best way that we can engage with the enemy, uh, the, engage in this spiritual battle that we're in is look to Jesus. So, so we're going to end our time by looking to Jesus. Lord, thank you for this morning. God, thank you that you are kind and gracious to us. We ask that you would help us, Lord Jesus, look to you, that you would help us us know that we have a powerful Savior who's able to engage in the spiritual battle that we're in much more uh, efficiently and better than we can. So Lord, would you help us look to you this morning in whatever way that we need to?